Kia ora, aotearoa, and welcome to Generally Famous, a stuff podcast. I'm Simon Bridges, and every week I talk to a generally famous but always interesting guest about life, love, and what makes them tick. Today's guest is one of New Zealand's most successful rally drivers ever. Internationally, he's won a World Rally Championship and has many podiums and stage victories under his belt. Welcome, Hayden Patton. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. How you going? Yeah, very good. Nice uh, sunny Auckland day, so can't complain. Yeah, I t- I'm picking you're a real, you're very positive about Auckland as a Geraldine-born <laughs> mainlander. Well, let's just put it, it's better than some of the other cities I've lived in around the world anyway. <laughs> yeah, so. And actually, on, just on, you've lived in quite a few. Someone's uh, Italy, Sardinia, uh, if I made that up. Yeah, I lived in Frankfurt probably for the longest, for five right. years. So of all places in Germany there. Um, and then, yeah, Sardinia there for a couple of years. Um, Does Frankfurt have Frankfurters? Yes, but I didn't try them. So. Whoa, but, uh, are you, you, for, a, are you a fruitopian or something? No, 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 no. I, I, we weren't there too often, So, uh, but it was good for the travel with the central <laughs> airport. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, I imagine you've done a lot of travel and we'll talk a little bit about that. I wanted to start with sort of growing up and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know you're born and raised in Geraldine, any psychological harm from that or you come out okay? <laughs> I think that's what actually helped me coming out of a small country town. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, grew up on a farm. Um, my father was a rally driver before I was born, yes. so I was brought up in that environment, but uh, I've always said, um, Obviously, where we are now, I w- we would have never achieved what we did and got to where we got to without coming from a small community. Because yeah. coming from Geraldine and then Tamaru thereafter, you know the local newspaper and everything got behind you. Yes. And everyone knew what you were doing, and they got and the whole community got behind you. Whereas if I was trying to do that out of Auckland, we wouldn't even get a piece in the paper, or no yes. one know who you are. So um, I always remember the Tamaru Herald doing an article when we were thirteen um, when I was driving one of my first events in the mini. And out of nowhere, a UK radio station rang up because for them it was so abnormal to have a 13-year-old doing a motorsport event and all of a sudden I hadn't even talked to anyone on the radio before and I'm talking to someone on the other side of the world and that all branched from our local community getting behind us. I'm glad you mentioned the Tim of Vegas Herald because I understand you were a paper boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, Did that, that for change a- your life? Well, I'm not a morning person, so that certainly didn't help. Uh, five o'clock every morning, but um, that all branch from... A simple question from from an old man going, okay, how are you going to fund? And this is once I brought my first race car, which was the Mini when I was 13, and he said, how are you going to fund this? And I naively said, I'll get three jobs. So paper run in the morning, uh, working for his farm machinery business in the school holidays, fish and chip shop at night, and then after that, sometimes working on a potato harvester um, through the night shift. So, yeah. It didn't take long to work out all these minimum paying jobs. We weren't going a long way to paying the motorsport bills. So that's yep. when we then started the journey to work with sponsors and partners. But um, had to learn the hard way, if you like. Fantastic. And, and, you know, you mentioned your dad. He, I think I'm right to say, is a motor uh, sport and rallying specifically, you know, um, um, enthusiast and more than that. And he was doing it from his early, you know, 20s. So it's at a level, at least going back to him, it's in your blood. Were you like, do you feel like from your dad with his hand on your shoulder or something, were you fulfilling his ambition for greatness? Uh, well, it was something I always wanted to do. So yeah. he, was, he wasn't he was one of these ones that pushed you into doing something. Right. He gave me the opportunities in, from go-karting from the age of six and then helping me along the way. Um, but he's been a massive part of the journey. He lives and breathes it as much as what I do. Does and he tour with you? Yeah, he you? used to come around a lot overseas with us and right. he'd ride the highs with us and ride the lows. And, you know, even to this day, you know, Dad and I, we have a very close relationship and every day it's, we're on the phone talking about different opportunities that are coming up or challenges and, and we sort of bounce ideas off each other. So we, we definitely work together as a team and, He's as big a part of it as what I am. Would he be your biggest champion? Uh, I always looked up to him. He's always been my hero. Um, you know, I, when I was younger, I used to actually co-drive for him. This was before I started driving, and I used to think he was the best thing out there. He used to crash a bit, but uh, other than that, he was. Um, I used to really look up to him. And then when he gave me the keys to his car when I was uh, 15 for my first rally, that was a real shock to the system. But now, you know, that's... Oh, geez, 20 years ago now, yep. he, he hasn't hopped back in a rally car since. So, um, yep. yeah, he's been a big part of it. Was success written in the stars, or could you have look, ended up, um, I don't know, Juno at the Timaru Herald or, you know, the Geraldine uh, Butcher or something else? Uh, well, yeah, to be honest, as a kid, motorsport was my passion and my hobby. But, f- you know, for me to 
try and be a world champion, it was a dream. It was like trying to be an astronaut. It felt so far-fetched, especially back in those days. We yep. couldn't watch any rallies live. It was all on Europe. By the time the coverage got to New Zealand, it was two weeks later. You know, as a 12, 13-year-old, the other side of the world felt like you know a universe away. So it was always a dream, but, you know, along the way I always had goals. It was always I was always very, very specific to have goals, and as we progressed, we sort of learnt that different levels were becoming, I guess, unlocking different levels yep. that were achievable. And then... Um, once we sort of started breaking into New Zealand Rally Championship and started being winning some of these scholarships, we're in this opportunity to put ourselves overseas and to try and really chase the dream. Because growing up um, from quite a young age, you're winning. Well, yeah, I don't like losing, so um, yeah. I'm, I'm a very competitive person. Uh, so yeah, right all, all the way through go karts, racing. Uh, I, I remember one race when I was seven or eight in the go kart and come back into the pits, balling my eyes out, and I still got the image in my head. It's probably scarred me, but. Pulling my visor up and I was balling my eyes out and, and Dad was like, what are you crying for? And it's because I got second. Yeah. So, you know, right from that early age. And, and that didn't really come from anywhere. That probably just come from me watching my heroes, you know, Colin McRae, Possum Bourne. Yep. At that young age, I was always watching my heroes win. Yep. So, of course, at that young age, I wanted to emulate that and, and be winning myself. And when I didn't win, I, I felt like I was failing. Yeah, amazing. And do you think... Like think about you, you bawling your eyes out. I mean, and I don't mean to be too deep and meaningful about this, but is it, is it um, the desire to be the best and win, or is it a fear of losing? It's uh, a very good question. Or um, both. Maybe. <laughs> well, you you want to win, uh, yeah. and a lot of sports psychologists will sit back and say it's all about that visualization of winning and everything. But to be honest, what drives me more, and I've tried all these different methods and things throughout my career. Right. Uh, for me, it's a fear of losing that drives me more than wanting to win. And a, a, a real simple and probably basic way I look at that is if you've got an ice cream at, ahead of you is uh, the victory or you've got a dog chasing you from behind as the losing, dog. I'm going to be running faster from the dog than what I am to that <laughs> yeah, ice cream. Yeah, I think that's so, right. Uh, the thought of a big bloody Alsatian biting your ass is exactly. much more uh, motivating. You won the NZ Rally Championship at the age of 21. I, I think I'm right to say you're the youngest ever to win that. Uh, yes, I think that still stands. So, Feeling of that. To be honest, age and records such as that mean nothing to me um, because as really? things evolve and technology evolves and opportunities evolve, you know, you, you just and it's the same in all sports. You see people getting younger and younger, and mm. so it becomes irrelevant because you're not really comparing apples with apples. So, right. you know, when we won it at 21 compared to even 10 years prior to that, we were probably at an advantage. So, right. for me, it's about how many championships we can win and. I've always said I want to try and win 10 New Zealand titles here yep. in New Zealand, and of course we want to win more titles and things around the world. Um, but for me it's about targets of how much I can achieve rather than when I achieve it. And on that basis, am I right to say, well, you're halfway there? Well, yes. Well, we're actually at six uh, titles right. now, so we're going for number seven this year. Right. Um, but the New Zealand Championship is something I see us doing for a long time. Like We've got the best roads in the world here, so it's... As long as I can still drive, I'll keep driving. And, um, you know, while I'm in sort of the prime of my driving career, we want to be focusing on Europe and what we can do over there. Yep, no, sure. Um, thinking of your driving, and, and I suppose what it, what it takes, um, I went on YouTube, and there's a shed load of you, right, um, doing all manner of things behind the wheel. Um, and the enduring sort of image I have, which is across a bunch of them, is you're in a forest, you're absolutely caning it, and, you know, sharp corners, um, danger, there's got to be a whole lot of adrenaline focus, control. It's absolutely unbelievable. But give us a sense of it. Jeez, uh, very hard. <laughs> when you've done hard it for, to describe. When you've done it for so long. Yeah, because first it, nature to you. It is, you know, everything we're doing in the car is subconscious. The way that we react, it's all about the pace notes, the relationship we have with the co-driver. Yep. As he's, you know, spitting out the pace notes that is you know subconsciously creating a, a, an action that I do whether it be with the steering the throttle or the brakes but the biggest thing I can probably um, relate to it all with is when you put on the helmet and you get into the stage literally every world problem disappears you forget about everything you go into the zone and that's why it's such an addiction because you've got the adrenaline but you've also got like this tunnel like vision where nothing matters you just and for whatever the duration that stage is you're in this own little peaceful world um Everything's feeling good, um, yeah. And when you get the stage right, there's no better sensation when you get to the end to know that you absolutely nailed that stage. You say um, everything feels good, and I believe you. But what's also true is on the flip side of that that I mean, it's you have to be in the zone because it's you're going so fast, you're on gravel or worse, and if you don't, you might die. 
Well, you never look at it like that. You, you trust in the systems around you. Oh, I'm a bit glass half empty, <laughs> sorry. The safety of the cars. But um, it's the same with anything I find. Like the more you do something, the easier it, be- the easier it gets. But also in our sport, we do a lot of, and you're seeing a lot of sports, we do a lot of overspeed training. So you try and train yourself in something that's faster. So your mind is making the processes a lot quicker. And then when you come back to your normal car that you race in, everything seems very slow, very easy. And then all of a sudden... You've got more time to process everything, and everything happens a lot more easier. What's the what, what's the sort of at a typical level, not fastest ever? What's the top speeds you're hitting on the straights? Oh, rallying's not huge. Um, sort of two twenty-ish would be top speed. But you know, I mean, my that that is incredibly fast for the conditions, right? Well, it's I all mean, about it's going all, around corners you, fast for you're us. You're not right? on you're not on asphalt, you know, and on a on a pleasant course. Yeah, it's this stuff's windy and wild. Yep. There's no uh, no tie barriers or trees wrapped in bubble wrap. You've got the you know hundred percent of the nature out there, and um, that's what adds to the drilling. You know, when you're getting close to things and you're on the edge, um, that's you know when, it's, when if it's under control, it's good fun. If it's not in control, then uh, it's maybe not as much fun. And in brief, your training regime, I mean, you're doing all this sort of reaction speed testing stuff that others yeah. are doing across different um, motorsports? Yeah, a lot of reaction um, mind type uh, training, um, but everyone's different as well. So yeah. I'm a very relaxed person um, right. to the point where before I get into a car, I've actually got to hype myself up rather right. than calm myself How down. How do you do that? Uh, well, you literally just jump running on the spot, you know, um, moving around trying to get the heart rate up because my heart rate's too low. And when my heart rate's too low, then I'm not competing at a, you know, a high enough at a level too relaxed, lethargic. Yeah, yeah. So, um, get it going. but it took a few years to work that out, um, like anything. But, you know, we use technology nowadays and um, whether it be reaction lights, whether it be with our trainers, um, whatever it may be. So, it's always developing and evolving, um, but yeah, it's generally trying to be as fit as you can as Have well. Have you had help up here in your mind? I mean, you, we, you're talking about a bit about that earlier. I mean, do, do you, or is, given your demeanour and the nature of the sport, is that not something you require co- mind coaching and psychological coaching and that sort of thing? Yeah, again, very personalised. Uh, I've tried it all. Didn't work for me, right. um, but you'll find for some people it does work. It's so I'm, I'm quite a independent uh, introvert person, if you like, so... Yeah, I like trying to work things out on my own and use the support network that I have around me. You said to me off air, weird, um, not in a not in a arrogant way, but you were, you know, when we'd like joking around, and said, you know, it said something like, "I might learn a bit about motorsport," and I have already have, right? But let, let's push that a bit further. Give me, give me, give me, give us some tips as as lay people. Let's say, in theory, I am going to get behind the wheel at some point and go for it. Um, my my watching is a complete. I'm about to make a numpty myself, but you know you're driving sort of wide, and then you're really pushing into the corner to maximise your efficiency. I mean, what just give us at a basic level as you're going around a course, how you're getting the most out of that um, off road track. Yeah, well, the, the biggest thing I think everyone relates to with rallying, particularly when you're on gravel, is sideways. You know, you look at you know days gone past, the Colin McRae's, again the possums. You know, always sideways in their cars and everything. But the the art of rallying to go fast is actually to try and be smooth and to be. You don't want too much of that. You don't want too much because you don't go fast. So uh, the Slowing art, you down. the art of trying to keep the car straighter, but everything on the road, the tires, everything's wanting you to go sideways. That's where the real art is, and trying to feel the grip and feel the speed. Because the other big thing in our sport is unlike a racetrack or anything, you don't see your competitors. So you're judging it all off what you feel and you don't know what the time of your competitors is until you get to the end of the stage. But by that stage, it's already too late. You can't go back and yes, go, okay, quite I, I like was that, too slow, I've got to go improve now. It's, it's already done. Yes. So it's a big experience game that you just got to learn the feeling and learn the grip and it's all by the seat of our pants of how we feel the road, how we feel the car. But that learning the feeling and grip, is, is that sort of, are you constantly having to, is that in simple layperson's terms so I can understand, is that sort of constantly jiggling, or wrong word, but that the steering wheel? Uh, is that what we're talking about? Is that where honest, your it's, it's power? seat time. It's experience. Um, there is no secret switch to go, okay, I need to learn that tomorrow. Um, right. You need to be doing rallies and miles, and that's why rallying is quite unique com- compared to other sports. And we are saying there before that, you know, the prime age of a rally driver is sort of in the mid-30s, um, yep. but you see Sebastian Loeb and some of those guys are still competing in their mid-40s in the yep. WRC, 
But that's because they needed 10, 15 years to gain the experience to get to a good level. Yes. So um, it's a little bit different to circuit racing in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're in the air a lot. Is there a trick to that? Again, I mean, is that is that slowing you down? No. Uh, hang on, close your eyes and hope for the best. Right. So, um, There's no landing trick? You don't well, sort of... the, the other thing you don't want to be doing is deaccelerating or braking when you get to the top of the crest before the car takes off. Because if you do that, the, the, the inertia... Right. Um, yeah, create a nosedive, and there's right. no worse feeling on the car than the car trying to roll forward. So, have you ever? Um, I was going to sweep, but I'm not going to do that because we're very <laughs> polite. Have you ever mucked it up? Uh, certainly had a few accidents. Um, it's part of the sport, to be honest. But it's, in the jump, I mean, in the, well, in the, jump, the jump, in the air time. Oh, uh, in a couple of jumps, yeah, we've had a couple of little mishaps. Um, more so on jumps where you're jumping over a corner and it maybe launches the car more than you think. And we had one incident in Argentina where we were right up on two wheels and had to steer out of it and uh, we had to go into the crowd, actually, on the other side of the road because over there the spectators were just crazy, like hundreds of thousands of spectators and sometimes trying to touch the car. Uh, and when you had to correct yourself out of a roll and you got nowhere to go, that was quite an unnervy uh, That's not accident. ideal. No, no, it was certainly um, That's sort of ideal. Darwin Awards stuff, right? Yeah, well, and then particularly what, what was really strange about this accident, luckily no one was seriously injured or anything, but um, normally in rallying, especially around the world, if you roll, the spectators are there and like, Two minutes or two seconds, sorry, and they'll roll you back on your wheels. And if, as long as your four wheels are still on the car, it doesn't matter how damaged it is, you reverse up and you go again. Yeah. This particular instance, we actually stayed on our wheels and landed, but then the fans come in and we're in this arena of, I think, about 150,000 people. And the Argentinian fans come in and actually roll our car up on the side. And we're thinking, this is very unusual to have the car rolled back up. And that was because there was two people stuck under the car. So I take it that wasn't the time you won in Argentina? No, it was actually the year before. So, um, yeah, we went from a low that year um, to the following year, obviously winning. But um, actually, when we went back in 2016, um, two of the um, people who got injured um, during that accident came up to us at the service park prior to the rally and asked to see me. So I was a bit nervous thinking, oh, okay, what are they going to say? And Anyway, come over and they pull up the shirt and they show me all their scars and get me to sign them all. And they were just so <laughs> pumped that they got hit by a World Rally car. And they were so, I wouldn't say proud, but enthusiastic about it all. And that just goes to show what the Argentinian fans are like. Unbelievable. I don't, yeah, I don't know where to go with that. But let's, <laughs> so let's move on to another. There's a lot of water, right? So what, which I mean, not raining, but like you're... Um, you're going through, uh, you know, various um, fords and all this kind of carry on. Again, is there a trick to that? Uh, no, it depends on the depth of the of the water. Um, to be honest, water splashes are one of my things I least like in rallying. Right. It looks great for photos, looks great for video, but there's so much risk involved that if you hit the water in slightly the wrong way or it's got slightly deeper, we'll often find a rally spectators will dam the river crossing so they're deeper than when we saw them one or two days before. So right. trying to judge it. And then if that water comes into the engine, it can end your rally on the spot. So there's so much risk involved for, apart from a good photo, no reward. So I'm, I'm asking an ignorant question, but do, do you speed up or slow down for the water? It depends on the depth. If right. it's quite deep, you slow down. Uh, if it's like under, say, knee height, you'll speed up and try and skim across like a little stone. Are you getting better all the time or do you worry sometimes that you're kind of you're on a plateau which is a high plateau but a plateau nonetheless yeah i'd never accept a plateau um if it got to that stage i'd probably stop driving um you know whenever i do stop driving at a high level i want i want to do it when i'm on a high so i feel like i'm still improving i'm always trying to improve the biggest thing now though is the WIC's got so hard. There's six seats in the world of rallying at the top level. Um, when we sort of got shown the back door there through some, some shall we say, some dirty politics uh, come into 2018, that really lit the fire to come back to New Zealand and go, okay, no, no, I'm not done, but I want to do this, our, do it our own way, do it the Kiwi way. So from there on in, it was about a 10-year plan, which we're obviously pretty in the early stages of, but a 10-year plan of trying to win a world championship with our own New Zealand team. So a bit like a team New Zealand in yachting, we want to do the same in motorsport. So that's what I'm pretty driven towards doing now, um, winning. But I'm not trying to, from a career perspective, get myself back into a WRC seat now. That that ship's already sailed. Um, and I don't want to be living in hope forever. So I want to do something that's more at our control more of our own destiny and try and do this with our own New Zealand team. What um you, you just mentioned this of the politics. I mean, just objectively looking at that. What what in summary, you know, without sort of wallowing in it. What 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 happened there? Ah, uh, well, we had a pretty rough year in two thousand seventeen, the year prior, uh, which was year two of a three year contract we had. 
And um, yeah, we were the first to accept it was a hard year, but that happens in motorsport. So we come back in 2018. Um, unfortunately, our contract got cut in half, which technically shouldn't have been the case, but it was. So we accepted that and made the best job we could. Um, we're on the podium two out of our last three rallies in 2018, and we were the second highest point scoring driver out of the four. Um, we had a handshake, we had a deal, um, everything was pretty much done for 2019. Uh, but then two weeks before Christmas, um, a guy called Sebastian Loeb, um, mm. most successful rally driver in history, mm. um, came out of retirement and and basically took our seat. So yep. um, we were left high and dry right before the start of the 2019 season. And, and with our loyalty um, with Hyundai New Zealand, um, which we've made a very strong case that we want to build a long-term relationship with them, um, it meant that we couldn't really go shopping around other teams and find other opportunities. The silver lining is if you're going to be replaced by anyone, you get replaced by a nine-time world champion. So uh, yeah, that's right. You know, we were pretty dark about that for a year or two, uh, and then COVID obviously put the brakes on trying to get back in there. And, and it's probably now been too long that I still feel like I'm at a good enough level to be there. Um, especially that the guys who are still there are the ones that we used to compete against and beat. So have they got better? Has the, and has the competition I think got better? Everyone's always getting better. Um, okay. They'll be improving. Uh, we've been improving. What's that? Um, what does that look like? That improvement. What are they doing? Uh, it's just that, that ever constant development of technology. Um, um, the right. pace notes, the reconnaissance, um, memorising stages now because you're, just, you're doing the stages more often, the cars are getting better. It's just an accumulation of, of everything. When you talk about six seats, by the way, what, are we, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, there's three teams that effectively have two paid drivers. So uh, Toyota, Hyundai and Ford. So six seats is all there really is in, in terms of professional driving. Yeah, two, right. The rest of the other opportunities, you have to take the budget and take the money yourself, which you're talking multi Millions and millions of dollars. So yeah. uh, the the opportunities, and when we broke into the WRC ten years ago, there were probably twelve opportunities. So gotcha. The WRC has a few uh, commercial problems at the moment that they're trying to solve. Right, right, right. Um, these seasons that you you do, um, what's the year they run? Uh, so WRC is January through to November. Um, and then our seasons are a little bit different. We're probably normally February, March until December. And when you say our seasons, that's what the whatever it's called, WR2 or something? Yeah, we, well, we're looking at what we do this year. Um, we're weighing up between European Championship and WRC2, right. um, but also New Zealand Championship, plus doing a whole lot of um, demonstration events. What's the prize money like? No prize money. Right. That's the biggest thing that So it's the sponsorship and the glory. Uh, well, even you know the sponsor or the partners, as I like to call them, uh, you know that helps you try and get there. But there's still a, a big void that we have to fill. Um, but at the end of the day, we're we compete for trophies, and um, that's why my trophies mean so much to me. You know, we've got a, a room of them down at home, and every trophy tells a story. You're, there's memories, um, and that's why we value them so much. That said, I mean, it, it sounds at one level incredibly glamorous you know you you in normal year views like argentina poland monte carlo sardinia finland you know every other scandy country i can sort of name um is it glamorous well for me i'm doing what i love which is driving cars fast um that's my passion that's what i live for but for sure it's not the most rewarding sport if you're looking at um, paychecks or opportunities or anything like that um, we're very lucky we've got some very good partners here in, in new zealand but a lot of the value that we have with partners is actually not what we're doing rallies. It's actually what we're doing away from the rallies with experiences and ride days and hosting and all the work that we're doing behind the scenes. And then when we get to the rally, we're there just to focus on the performance. So for sure, it's a lot of work. Um, motorsport's driven by finance. Um, right back from the day that we started breaking the WRC, you know, we had to privately fund, uh, I think, uh, $3 million in our first three years in the support categories. And that was all out of... New Zealand, uh, which is when people told us it wasn't possible to do what we were doing. So is it not a cheap sport? That's the reality of it. Um, but, you know, that's the, one of the challenges I, is, uh, that I enjoy is trying to find the funding, trying to put it in place, create a family, if you like, of partners that we're all, I guess, on the same page and all enjoying it as well. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, 
abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news. It's just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. How's the car changed even in the time you've been at this? Well, hugely. We've got a, a full electric rally car in the garage yeah. now, so yeah. that, that's a big change. Um, you know, the, the technology's just been huge. Um, the, obviously, WRC cars are now hybrid, so they're not yet full electric. Right. Um, but even on the combustion side of the cars, the suspension's so much more um, detailed. You get so much grip. You can carry so much more corner speed. The tyres, just everything's evolving. The cars are getting quicker and quicker, and the engines at the same time are actually getting smaller and smaller. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's, they're amazing to drive and obviously the, the electric car is, while it's a debate within the motorsport community particularly, because, um, you know, myself included, you know, we love combustion cars, we love the sound, we love the smell, but our sport has a responsibility to be relevant to the automotive industry. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, the top factory teams in WRC. Because like, bud- they fund, at a level they have to be production cars, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, that, and also their budgets are about 100 million euros a year to run yep. a WRC team. So you've got to sell a lot of cars to, to justify that investment. So therefore, what you're racing needs to be relevant to what you're selling. Otherwise, it becomes equivalent to racing a horse and selling a car. So electric needs to be where the future is. Um, otherwise, the sport simply won't survive. And you're one of the first um, with Hyundai to be out there racing um, an EV, you know, the Hyundai Kona. Yep, yep, that um, is. The experience of that? Uh, it's been amazing. Um, that all started when we come back in 2019 with that fire in, in the in the valley. Um, but running a motorsport team out in New Zealand, we needed a point of difference. And at that time, EV rally cars didn't exist. Um, someone actually, you know, put the idea to me two years earlier, and I, and I laughed them off the phone. But thinking about it more, it's like, okay, as a point of difference, an electric car is what's actually going to make us stand out from the crowd. So. 10,000 hours later, um, a lot of money, a uh, small team of eight people of young engineers and technicians. We then launched the first EV rally car in the world, and that was two years ago. So um, now we're constantly developing Did you get a lot it. of notice for that? Yeah, we, and you get a bit of backlash as well. We've, we've probably put our reputation on the line a little bit as well within the motorsport community, but I believe in what we're doing as a team. Like if we want to be a world champion come 29, 20, um, it's going to be an, an alternative power So is that car. still what you're racing now? Or. So at the moment, uh, ironically enough, we don't actually have a place or a championship where we can race an EV car. So we can do that's the, the rules, right? The rules aren't in place, and that's why no one else has done it yet. And that's why we're we're a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, but there's a whole lot of demonstration events that we can do in singular events. So in the meantime, we're still competing with the combustion car, and that will probably still be that way for another probably two years. Uh, but come 25, 26, I see us primarily um, competing mainly in just EV. What, what's your message to sort of world rallying around the EV stuff? I mean, should they be getting hit there faster? Uh, well, we're in discussions with FIA and WRC and, and what we can do to be involved. Um, but for sure, the sport has to involve. And that might not just be electric. It might be hydrogen. It might be a bigger hybrid system. But the sport needs to be more attractive to the manufacturers. And at the moment, it's not. And while there's no manufacturers, therefore, there's no seats, there's no opportunities. Right, and right. it dwindles all the way down the grassroots. So, um yeah, they need to make change and quick, but it's easier said than done. And I think we sort, we sort of touched on this, but give me the honest kind of level with me truth here. How does the EV compare with an ICE, with a you know an internal combustion? From a driving perspective, best yeah. car I've driven. Um, from inside the car, I can carry more corner speed than what we could even in the World Rally car because um, the centre of gravity is so low. It's actually louder for me on the inside because we've got two straight cut gearboxes, so a lot of noise. I've still got two gears on the pedals. For me, it's phenomenal. I, I love it. Um, I can agree from the outside. It doesn't have the sound sensation that we're used to, and that's something that we're trying to improve. Well, it's not much good with those crazy Argentinians. If they've, they're out on the thing, they don't want to hear it coming, mate. No, exactly. And rallying, you do need to hear it coming from, a, like yeah. you say, a spectator safety perspective. Yeah. But um, from a driver's perspective, it ticks all the boxes. It's faster than what we've been before, and we're only just scratching the surface at the moment with development. Um, from a spectator entertainment point of view, yeah, it needs some more work. The future is electric. 
Well, it's hard to say if it's just electric. I think hydrogen's going to have a part to play as well. Right. Um, and I'm not pro or con either way. I right. just want to see the sport develop. Um, for us, at the moment, the future is electric because that's what's obtainable. Uh, for us, hydrogen's quite a challenge uh, if, we, if we look into that in the motorsport application right now. The success of, um, you know, Drive to Survive on Netflix and so on, F1 is a massive at the moment. Um, and, you know, there's obviously another, a whole bunch of other formats and, you know, vehicle types and so on in the world of motorsport. Um, what's the – run me through the difference between your rallying, the gravel, the trees, the sort of grittiness of that, and these other kinds. What's the and, – and, and I suppose I brought on really ask you, give me, a, give, me, give me why you – why is it rallying for you that you like – that's the one that, you know, gets you up at 4 a.m.? Uh, yeah, well, I, I had a decision when I was 12, actually, if I wanted to go circuit race on a rallying, and obviously with my history and the family, it was pretty easy to go rallying. But for me, it's the adventure. Every corner's different. Every stage is different. doesn't matter the weather conditions. Um, you're out there all over the place, and it's just that real sense of adventure, as I say. But um, the compare, like, WRC is effectively the Formula 1 of rallying, and it is one of the top two or three motorsport forms along with Formula 1. Yep. The best comparison I can always give is it's a bit like biking. So... You've got like your Tour de France, your road bikers, bikers versus yes. your mountain bikers. But you've always yes. got your, your road cyclists in big sports, a lot of promotion, a lot of media, a lot of money. Um, whereas mountain biking, you could almost argue, argue is more skill. Um, it's off-road, but it's a little bit more, I guess, lower profile. And, and I see the same in, in between Formula 1 and rally, and not, no disrespect, but... WRC, you know, your big rallies, you're seven, eight days, you're out doing reconnaissance for three days in a road car from 5am till 10 o'clock at night. The rally days are long, you're doing that for eight days and you're testing for every single rally. So the time commitment from a WRC perspective, along with all the conditions and the different stages and everything is, is quite demanding. But it's a little bit like, as I say, like mountain biking versus road biking, it's got that lower profile, it doesn't quite have that same relation to the media um, but also it's harder to follow because, you know, Formula 1, you can sit on the grandstand, you can actually see who's winning the race. Well, yeah. In rallying, you can't do that. So it, it does yes. have its challenges. Um, the cars are obviously very different. I mean, what about the, for the driver? I mean, is the phys- how would you compare the physicality of, say, let's go F1 if, or, or, or the Formula style and and rally? Yeah, very different. I think Formula 1, you have to be very strong. Um, you you got a lot of G-forces, so you see a lot of the Formula 1 drivers have got very strong neck muscles, very strong yes. core, cause they, and even the steering is very heavy, so it's probably a lot more physical in those cars. With rallying, it's all about endurance and fatigue. You're, you got, you're in the car for about 16 hours a day. It can get up to 65 degrees. These are all elements that can you know fatigue you, so if you're not physically fit and you haven't got the endurance, and if you make a split-second decision in the wrong way then you end up in the trees so it's more about endurance fitness on the rally side um right. whereas it's more about strength and fitness probably on the circuit yes, side gotcha gotcha and and um we, we recently have had liam lawson on the, the the pod um have you met him yeah i don't know liam so uh it's, it's incredible to see what new zealand motorsport drivers are doing yeah. around the world like liam's obviously on the cusp of formula one at the moment but not only Liam, you got both the Scots in America and you got Brendan Hartley back over in Europe and New Zealand's always batted well above its weight uh, in motorsport. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, that's really interesting. And I mean, I, look, I, I probably asked this in different ways, but get, in summary then on that, um, you give me the case for rallying over all the rest. <laughs> well, I'm biased, so of course I've always got to uh, put a case forward for rallying, but uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what form of motorsport you're in, it's all different skills. Um, I've actually done a bit of circuit racing, and I really struggled with the fact of having other cars around you. I couldn't get used yeah, to that. Quite so, um, yeah. Whereas on rallying, when you see circuit racers come to rallying, the, the big thing that's different for them is listening to a co-driver, having someone constantly talking mm. with the descriptions of the notes. So it's just a different mindset, a different challenge. Mm. I wouldn't say one's necessarily more skilled than, the, than another, but for sure rallying is, is up there with one of the more demanding forms of motorsport. You've, um, speaking of co-drivers, had a couple. You've had a long-standing Kiwi one. I'm sorry, I forget his name. Yeah, John, John Gennard. Yeah, and then you've gone with a Brit um, more recently when John has retired. Um, they're obviously hugely important, um, but, but kind of misunderstood or not at all understood and undervalued run, run us through the how vital your co-driver is and what the hell they're doing 
Yeah, definitely. Like uh, John actually came out of retirement, so we had Seb, right. uh, who was a British co-driver with us for two years. But John and I are about to go into our eighteenth year this year. So, because how old is he, roughly? Oh, You're not going to get in he's, trouble. He's, so. nearly, he's nearly got his gold card, I think. So <laughs> he's not far off. But um, John and I, we're entering our eighteenth season together, so we're as good as an old married couple. Um, you know, right from eighteen years ago, he was really helping. I guess teach me a lot of lessons and help me grow as a, as a young driver back then and like nowadays we just know exactly how each other operates so obviously the pace notes that he's reading is something that, that we've written from the reconnaissance before the rally and basically we have a our own language to describe the road ahead of us because the first he, time he is like in words guiding you through the track yep yep because you can't can't see it because no. the first you're time going, you drive it at speed you're going right. at clappers so you need to hear it from him yep definitely and basically what he's reading that helps me visualize exactly the corners ahead and it helps me to visualize exactly the inputs that i've got to put into the car to get around the car, the corner as fast but also as safe as we can has he ever got it wrong no, told no. you to go left when you should go no, right. He's he is the best co-driver in the world, in my opinion. So, um, and it's quite a, a thankless job, and 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 no room for error. In the respect that, as a driver, we can often maybe run wide or bounce off a bank. If the co-driver calls the wrong note, you've got no coming back. So, no room for error at all. What makes NZ special? What would you say about New Zealand rallying and its place in the bigger bad world? It is predominantly a European sport. Mm. Um, all the teams, all the drivers, uh, there's only literally been three Southern Hemisphere drivers in the WRC before, um, but everyone comes to New Zealand for the roads, and that's what everyone will always talk about is that we have the best rally roads in the world here, and even though we're a, far, a long way away, um, the drivers are always prepared to come down here because you just don't find us anywhere else in the world. So when everyone thinks New Zealand and the world are rallying, they just think roads. It's all about the roads here that yep. we're lucky to have on our back doorstep. Where are we at today in rallying New Zealand? Well, obviously having Rally New Zealand back here uh, last year was massive. Um, it, it sort of, I guess, helps with the profile of the sport a little bit. You know, we are a smaller sport here in New Zealand uh, in relation to other sports, so that just helps the profile again, you know, for it to continue growing, we need Rally New Zealand back here on a regular basis. And I know they're working on that for 2024. Um, they're obviously trying to get some government support behind that. But we need to get back to the days of having it here all the time. You know, it was one of the only annual World Championship events that come to New Zealand. And we've, we've still got this opportunity to keep it here. And, um, you know, compared to a lot of other sporting events, it's actually not that expensive to host um, relative to what can the country can get out of it in return. So... We need that back here, um, and then that also helps the youth, the rally, and it helps more people get interested. It helps road safety. There's a whole lot of follow-ons from it that can help um, New Zealand in, in, in a whole long term. You know, Essentially, without Rally New Zealand, I would have never gotten rallying because before my father, there was no one in the family. He went to Rally New Zealand in the mid-80s, fell in love with the Group B cars, went home, goes, I want to do that, bought a car. And then the rest is history from there. So Rally New Zealand is what feeds other opportunities for, for the youth or for whoever. And what you're really saying to me, it seems, New Zealand Rally is a bit like um, a co-driver. It's a bit undervalued. And it's, well, this is not like the co-driver, but it's a bit precarious, right? It doesn't seem to get the support it deserves. Hugely. Like, I think they're only talking 2 or $3 million yeah. to host the event. But they're talking over the course of the rally here last year. They had an accumulative audience of 71 million people around, yeah. the, around the world. But unlike any other sport, you're not looking at a stadium with all the shots. The shots are all of a helicopter flying around the Whangau Coast, around Puhoi. It's actually showcasing the country and the yes. sporting environment, which you yes. can't do in any other sport. So. For me, it's a no-brainer, but again, I'm a bit biased on that one as well. Yeah, no, no. Look, I, I'm, I'm with you on that entirely. Um, for your team, you know, we don't can depersonalise it. You don't have to give me your number, but you know, for an average team to be racing in uh, World Rally, what are we sort of talking in cost? Uh, so WRC two, which is which is achievable, you're probably in the vicinity of two to three mil Kiwi. So. It's, it's an expensive campaign. It ain't Formula One, but it's still a lot of coin. Yep, definitely. And uh, WRC One is not even achievable. As I say, there are 100 million euro teams. So um, that's not something that's achievable as a private team like us. The size of a team? Yeah, well, again, we're small. We're, we've got a team of 10 uh, permanent staff based down in Cromwell at Highlands Motorsport well. Park. So, um, But then when we go to rallies, we have a whole lot of friends and contractors that come along. So we're, we're about 30 on a rally, um, but it's a massive team sport from engineers, technicians, 
everyone that's involved. So um, I've just got the fun part at the front with the steering wheel in my hands. And obviously, you know, and there's nothing in this for me, but I just, because it's relevant, I mean, your sponsors are critical. You're talking Hyundai, Winmax, what have I got there on track racing? We've got, I think, 26 partners on board now. It's, to be honest, it's my biggest job is working with partners. We are effectively a marketing company rather than a sporting company. No, no, and I I liked it, but I could see that on your website, right? It's, it's, there's a drive to to keep this machine going because it's a big machine to feed. Exactly, and and sponsorship is not a donation, and that's the biggest mindset that we've always got to have is that yep. it's an investment. And they don't that, do it out of the goodness of their heart. No, definitely not, especially when things get tough like they might do over the next 12 months. You know, We have to give a measurable return on investment, and the biggest thing is how we freshen it up and, and you know provide that every year. Let's run through some quick fires. I'm interested to get you. I, th- I think I know the answers to some of these. Your favourite international rally? Course. Uh, rally Finland. Because? Jumps. Big jumps. <laughs> um, in New Zealand? Uh, probably it's a tie between Rally Otago and Rally Whangarei. Your career high? Uh, it's hard to go past winning Argentina in 16. Yep. But um, even winning the production world championship in 2011 was a high. Uh, and then also building this EV rally car was something I'm pretty proud of. Fantastic. A career low? Uh, Monte Carlo 17. Um, probably don't need to go into that too much, but yeah, that was. Well, and, and I don't, no, I don't, look, I don't, you know, I don't say this to, um, you know, there's no, I don't think shame in this, but you know, just to be explicit, you know, you crashed out, you lost control um, on black ice, and a spectator's can killed um, having been hit by the right rear of your car. I mean, briefly, how did you react at the time to that? Uh, shock. Disbelief. Um, like, you, we're in slow motion. We're on black ice at the time, sliding down the road, and you can see there was a cliff face behind the person, um, or a cliff wall, sorry, and he was standing on the, on the outside of the road, and you're sliding towards him knowing he's got nowhere to go. Mm. And, you know, you, just the thump on the car, and then the car rolled, and you, you knew it wasn't good. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was difficult. It took a few months to bounce back from that, and... Um, it was hard because as a driver, our, we were employed at the time to drive. We were told to get back in the car four weeks later. We're on the other side of the world with no support network, no nothing. We're just told get back in the seat in three weeks' time. You need to get back on the horse and drive again. So, yeah, it took a few months to try and really process that. So, um, How do you yeah. feel or reflect on it now? Does it still have any ongoing? Well, at the, end, at the time we tried reaching out to the family because obviously um, – doesn't matter who was in, in the wrong, it's not something you ever want to see. Um, so we tried to do the right thing, but no one really wanted to know us or hear from us. So right. we had to try and move on. So for sure, it's something that, you know, will live with me forever. Uh, it's not something that affects things so much now. If anything, you know, we'd like to see the safety in the, in the sport improved to ensure that doesn't happen again. Yep. Uh, and I think the FIA made some good steps after that to ensure that hasn't happened again so far. Gotcha. Look, um, moving on from that, but just on the subject of crashes, I mean, this, you said you try not to think about it. This is dangerous. I mean, I know it wasn't in a competition, but um, legend, Boss and Born, probably the most prominent example I can think of in, in our um, country. It's, it, I've already referred to the gravel, the corners, the forest, the cliffs, the lakes, the the fords, the, all of that stuff. I mean, you're crashing all the time? <laughs> no, no, we can't afford that. So uh, Right. Oh, on average, maybe one every couple of years. Um, right. When you're learning, maybe a little bit more often because you need to learn where the limits are. That's probably the biggest aspect. And then as you get more experience, you know, you tend to try and not crash. So, uh, But there's so many variables. There's so many unknowns in our sport. You know, we can come around one corner all of a sudden there's a rock the size of a football that's been pulled out by the car in front of you and you have no option but to hit it. Or you mm. have to go around it and it mm. causes neck. There's so many unknowns. and. Um, again, that's what keeps our sport interesting. How many cars have been totaled? Uh, here in New Zealand, luckily not too many. And uh, in, th- in the WRC team, I this think this is by was, you. Yeah, I think there was maybe three over five years. And these uh, are what three hundred grand of kit, something like that. Oh, bit more, up, bit more. Probably time. <laughs> right. Probably, probably multiply that by five. Yes. So. What What makes a really great rally driver, as opposed to anything else? Well. Uh, <laughs> Tough question. Um, you know, you, you've got to look at lots of uh, Kelly Rovampera, who won the world championship last year, youngest ever world champion. I think he was 21 or 22. But he started driving cars when he was six, and his father, Harry Rovampera, was a, an accomplished WRC driver. 
And for them, it was all about driving. He was just driving nonstop from the age of six. Um, so what makes a good rally driver is experience, being calm under pressure, um, you know, mechanical sympathy. You know, you need to know how to look after your car, how to set up a car, um, but also working with a team. You know, it's very easy in rallying or in any form of motorsport to think it's all about you because you're the one with, with the steering wheel, but you, you need to realise you can't do what you're doing without the engineers, without the mechanics, without the team management. And with, without everyone pulling in the same direction, you, you're never going to achieve the desired results. No. So you've got to be a team person as well. Yeah, you bet. That's a great answer. Um, there's a saying on your helmet, or certainly was. What's that? Uh, don't dream it, achieve it. Don't just dream it, achieve it, sorry. And is that sort of, why is that there? Uh, well, again, as a youngster, you know, I always had that dream of being trying to be a world champion and, and often getting told here in New Zealand that this wasn't possible, it hadn't been done before, there's no pathway. And for me it was about there's no point just sitting around thinking about it, you know, we've just got to do it. Um, and that's what was always a driving factor that there's no brick wall that's high enough, you just have to find a way around it or through it or whatever it is, especially when that's all I know, I've got nothing to fall back on. So it's not like I go, okay, this is too hard, I'll go do something else now. It's, I've got nothing else to do, so you have to find a way through. Um, well, I don't know, could be Pat and Rally Sport Tours of the South Island. I'd pay for that. I know I've got a good driver. <laughs> Not too a... nippy around the corners, thank you very much. It'll be a quick tour. <laughs> Won't be a lot of stops. <laughs> um, what are you up to currently? Uh, so we've got our own motorsport business um, at Highlands. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's two facets to what we're doing at the moment. Obviously, I'm very driven on the sports side and what we want to achieve, as I say, with that 10-year goal. But I also know to do that, we're going to need a business model behind us to support that. Like to be a world champion team, we're going to be talking multi-million dollar budgets and we can't rely fully on partners and sponsors for that. So right now we're building the business up, which is all around customer cars, um, helping customers out with their race cars, rally cars, uh, but also a lot in the technology space. So we're, you know, following on from the EV rally car, we're starting to do that now, do a lot of EV conversions. Uh, we've got a lot of IP and technology in our car that we look to try and put the market and basically try and grow the business model and every dollar from that business is going straight into the sporting program and yep. we want the business to grow to be able to support our sporting aspirations. It sounds like a lot of work. Your, your team must, I'm, I'm say, say stating the obvious probably, but they must really believe in you. Uh, well, we all believe in each other, to be honest. We're a yep. team of 10 and we're just all giving it everything. Like yep. um, we're achieving way more than what we should for, like when we look at, you know, you know, teams in Europe, we're talking teams of 30, 40, 50 to do what we're doing. Um, so we're all just working hard and we're all enjoying it. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing, you have to be enjoying it, you have to be passionate about it. Yeah, there's hard days, there's lots of challenges, but ultimately, you know, we get to go racing uh, once a month, if you like, and we get to do what we love. I mean, you, you're 35, you've, um, we've, we've talked a bit about age. I mean, what I get from you, you've already told me one of your goals, which is you're going to get to 10 NZ rallies. I mean, um, you're, you're far from, in your mind, you're far from the end of your career. You're going for, I mean, it sounds like to me you're going for another 40 years. Oh, well, I'm definitely feeling older than what I used to. Yeah. Um, but uh, for sure, I want to drive as long as I can. You've only got to look at people like Kenny Smith here in New Zealand and Brian Green, who's the rally um, uh, relevant person, if you like. And, you know, they're driving for 50-odd years. I'd love to be able to drive for 50 years. I know in 10 plus years, yeah, I'm probably not going to be as fast anymore. But still, uh, while I love it, I'll keep driving. Other rally goals? Outside of the one you've told me about, the 10 NZ rallies? Uh, well, to be the world champions with our New Zealand team. That's the main goal for me. Um, and as I say, you know, my previous, I guess, chapter up till now was about myself and John as a driver, co-driver, trying to win championships and win rallies in the WRC. Now this next chapter is about not me as a driver, it's about us as a team. You know, I want to set a legacy for our team, uh, a bit like what Bruce McLaren did with McLaren. Um, we want to do the same in rallying, but, you know, that's a very, very long journey to, to make that happen. Mm, I wish you were all the best with that. I mean, other life goals? Jeez, uh, I don't really have much else <laughs> in life, so uh, try and break a, a par around a golf, that's probably about it. Right. So, uh, but golf's probably uh, equally as frustrating sometimes. Well, I mean, you, you say all this, but look, I, my little birdie tells me you, the last day of 2022, you got engaged. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've engaged to Sarah, so we've been together for a few years, and uh, she's so based what up took here in you Auckland. so long? 
What do you mean what took me so long? I thought three years is quick. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, <laughs> I've got a couple more years now to, to worry about the next uh, step of that. But uh, no, Sarah, she's a massive part. Like, you're not, so you're not as quick with the wedding as you are around the course? No, I'll leave that to her. So uh, I'll, I'll turn up and make sure I'm there on time. But, um, but no, she's very patient to allow me to do what I'm doing. Hey, well, I wish you well with that as well. And it looks it's been great talking to you. We're going to finish off with what we call general knowledge. I ask every guest this section every time. What's the, yeah, you should be afraid, no. What's the best night out you've ever had? Best night out? Geez, are you allowed to answer that? <laughs> um, give us the sanitised version. <laughs> um, I remember as a youngster, a bottle of Kahula, uh, Kahula is it? I don't even know. Kahlua. There you go. We're talking how old? Oh, I think Under 18, age. 19, oh, okay. 18, 19. So I yes. know I wasn't a big part of it, but I remember that particular night. I feel like there's something that's like a sad, regrettable, and I'm not condoning this at any level, but um, Kiwi thing. Because I sort of basically have the same story, possibly you gotta, slightly you younger. You've got to learn the hard way, don't you? And now I, d- I don't like Kahlua. I'm sorry. No. The, the, sorry to Kahlua. <laughs> I'm sure it's a wonderful drink, but it just was my irresponsibility. Oh, there you go. You know exactly what I'm saying then. If you... Could be any animal. Animal what would it be, and why? Jeez, uh, um, I like cats, so they're pretty independent. They can look after themselves. Let's narrow this down. Give me a a, a kind of cat. Uh, I've got a blue point ragdoll at home. Oh, lovely! So uh, the only thing, beautiful, he, he, he beautiful leaves, cat. He leaves fur everywhere, though. It just makes an absolute mess. And but, is he um, is he terrible with the? Um, Local native birds. No, no, he's perfect. Doesn't like going outside. So uh, right. he lives in his own little world. So he's a man of sort of um, inside, indoor, domestic leisure. Definitely not a problem in the world. So be good to have that. Who owns who? You, him, or him? You? <laughs> Probably him, me. Yeah. So there's the difference between cats and dogs, I reckon. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They're they're a selfish pet, I guess. In the, in the when you look at it, but uh, at the end of the day, they they're good. Who would you most like to be trapped in a lift with? I wouldn't have passed Colin McRae. He was my hero. Um, if you're looking at... And remind me, he's what's the nationality he's at? Uh, Scottish. Scott, yeah. So, so. He, he won the World Championship yep. in 95. Uh, yep. If you're looking outside the sport, it'd probably be Tiger Woods or Barack Obama. Um, I reckon you'd be able to have a pretty good convo with him in the, in the lift. Yeah, you bet. Fantastic. Hey, well, thanks so much, Hayden. It's been great talking to you on Generally Famous. You have been listening to Generally Famous, a Stuff podcast. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. If you follow us on Apple, Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. I'd love to hear from you. Send your feedback to generallyfamous at stuff.co.nz. Thanks so much to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tad to you about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.